All right. So that's happening today. 5.30, we will have taco dinner that youth will be providing. So at the end of the service, I'm going to forget, but these chairs and those chairs need to be stacked and moved to the side so the tables can be set up, just so you know. So I've told you, now it's your responsibility to remember, because I won't, all right? Okay, so we are ready to go. You ready? Welcome to everybody here today at Christian Faith Fellowship. Amen. I am uh, Pastor Dave, if you don't know me, and I'm blessed to be here with you and God's servant here with my bride, Kimberly. Uh, we are honored to be your pastor family and uh, to serve you guys as we serve Jesus. We're also honored to have, we are always blessed to have the Gospel Rescue Mission crew with us every Sunday. The, the things, yeah. We love you guys. Thank you for your hearts for Jesus, and we're excited about that. We're also blessed to have the Teen Challenge. Pastor Tom has brought his guys over with us today, and so we welcome you guys. Yes. Great to have you guys. Thank you for being here. We love you guys. We love Jesus, and it's great to be with you and as we serve him and bring forth the challenge of God's word for us as we experience what he has for us. Every Sunday we uh, tell you that we're not a perfect church or people. But we're here because we know we need God's help, and that help has been provided through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is why we assemble, because we've recognized our brokenness. The only one that can fix us is God, and that offer that he has to fix that brokenness is Jesus Christ, and there is no other way. And so, as we consider that, and as we walk with him, I have, this August, I believe it's going to be five years, that I've been asking accountability questions of the congregation now, you may be new here. This may be your first Sunday. Uh, maybe you've been coming for a little while. I just want you to know that I've been asking these questions at the beginning of my message for almost five years. It started in August at the old property on Broadway. There's a Krispy Kreme there, Loco Pollo, and something else there, a pizza place, uh, where our old campus used to be. And God brought us and blessed us with this place. And so we've been asking these questions since then. There have been two additions to those questions through the years that we have done. And those are the last two that I ask. So... Here's the thing. I'm going to ask all of them. I want no response yet. When I'm concluding those, I will ask you for a response. Are you ready? Did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days last week, reading or listening to God's word? Did you share a God story with someone this week? Did you spend some time alone with him this week with no agenda, just to be with him? Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Are you giving as God has asked you to give? That's your time, your talents, and your resources. Did you invite someone to church with this view this week? There's some give you, come and join us cards right there in the front. And have you been praying and working on our 2019 God-given goal of each one of us reaching one person, teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ? That's the Great Commission. So all of these things are biblically based, and God has invited us into this relationship. And so if you've done all of that this week, Say yes. yes. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you that you have more people in this service, and there were more of you that said yes, but there was maybe six of you. In the first service, I had two and a half. I say two and a half because one person made a noise, and I don't know if they were saying yes, or if they were convicted and they were groaning. I don't know second service there was three and there was probably about 110 people in that service and here we have I'm going to tell you right now looking at you you're about 210 to 15 people in this room okay all right so I shouldn't clap because only six of you said yes okay now there's a reason why we did this of course all right because you see 
as we bring those questions to you, I, I, I don't mean any disrespect for this. I'm going to challenge you, like, because God's word does, and God challenges me. And so the message is not here, I want to tell you what to do. It's I want to share with you what God is challenging me with, to challenge you with, so that we all align with his truth. I want you to know that. This is not Dave judging or telling you. This is Dave hearing God saying, yes, God, I want to walk with you in this journey, and I'm inviting you all to join with me as we follow his truth. So as I do that, church, I want you to know that it's not okay for us to only embrace the truth we want to embrace. It's not okay for us to say amen to the things we agree with and then ignore the things we don't. So last Sunday on Father's Day, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go on our website, cfftucson.com, and those of you that are home watching online, thank you and welcome. You can go there as well. And I encourage everyone to tune into last, not now though, last Sunday, <laughs> last Sunday's message, okay? The message that God gave to me uh, to share with us is a truth from his word about men and women, relationship, marriage, and sexuality. And so right there, as soon as you make the word sex and you say it or you do it in church especially, not do it, I'm saying it. Um, (laughs) As soon as you say something like this, uh, everyone's attention comes in, but they're like on defense. Uh, And so in our culture, we immediately, when we hear something along those lines, we start to get like a little bit stiff and nervous and we're like, what's going on? And I'm uncomfortable because... It's not a thing that we talk about a lot as far as in a public setting and the church is rarely talked about sex and it needs to do that. And so people get uncomfortable and some people get uncomfortable and so they get up and leave and we had people that would leave our service, but that happens at other times as well. And so I I want you to hear me because see, I, I don't think I've heard back from as many people about a message as I have this week. And um, as I have, I share with you this, that here's the problem with us, not the people that left, with us. We're all into what we're into. (laughs) We're all for it and we're all in. And we're like, yes, yes. Way to go, Pastor Dave, that's truth. And then... We ask a question like, you spend some time in God's word? Did you pray? You listen to the spirit of God? Are you doing time, talent, reason? All right? And we're like, I did three of them. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not okay, church. And we're all over it because they left or that people don't want to hear it or we need the culture to listen to that message and like, hey, everybody, here's your problem. And while we're telling everybody in culture what their problem is, we're not even living the truth that we already know. They don't know the truth. They're lost. How could they? They're seeking. They want to know truth, and they're lost. And here we have truth. God's revealed His truth to us. And yet many of us are not even walking in the revealed truth we know. And we're condemning those that aren't living in it because their sin is more blatant, more ugly than in mine. Come on, church. God has revealed His truth to us, not so that we can know truth, but so that we can live truth. Come on, I want you to get a little more noisy than this. We were rocking the house in worship. 
I mean this in a good way. I want you guys to get rowdy and loud in worship. I love it, and I think we need to be way louder for God than we are. But we also need to embrace truth in the same context when we hear it, even when it hurts. All right, this isn't, we're not here for massage therapy. And it's not, we're not here for that. We're here to hear from God. God, what do you want to say to me? And God's like, I want to talk to you. You ever have one of those moments? Come here, I want to talk to you. It's like, uh oh. <laughs> All right, so what's up? It's not always bad, but it's uncomfortable. So here we are. You're going to be in an uncomfortable place right now. I want you to know that because, see, God's saying to us, I love your amens, but I want your life to match it. I love your applause, but I want you to applaud me by the way you live when you leave this place. God is calling us into his incredible truth that we have been blessed here. And God is inviting us into this truth. He is saying, I want you to know truth. I am truth. The world's truth is a lie. It's a mirage. It will never satisfy. And God is saying, here is truth. Come and embrace it. To embrace God's truth requires me and you to trust him, surrender to it, and obey it. And so I want you to know that God is not okay with where you are, no matter who you are, including me, wherever you are in your life, he's not okay. He is inviting us to change. And the only way that change occurs is through trusting, surrendered obedience. And so as we embrace God's word this morning, which we are going to read in Jeremiah chapter 26, I want to prelude the reading of the scripture with this. You ready? We know God's Word and we know his history, and if you don't, just hear me. God called his people through Abraham, gave a promise of covenant that he would make them a great nation. He said they would be held by a foreign land for 400 years in captivity. He said he would bring them out. He said he would make them a nation. He said he would bring forth the Messiah through that lineage and through those people. God said he would make them a great nation. That's Israel. The nation we know in our world is Israel, and that's the people. God promised all that too many, 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 many years ago. And here were the people of God. Yes, God. Yes, God. We need you. We're crying out. We're in bondage in Egypt. Save us. God sends the deliverer, Moses. God has heard your prayers. I'm calling you out. Things get rough. It gets rough for a while. As God visits ten plagues upon Egypt. You know why God visited ten plagues upon Egypt? Because Egypt was the world power. Pharaoh was supposedly the supreme God. People thought the Pharaoh was God. Along with the other gods that they served. And so God brought judgment upon every single one of the gods of Egypt. Because he said, the whole world, not just you Israel, the whole world's going to know I am God. And I alone am God. This is God speaking and God visited the plagues. And so the Israelites are having a hard time as this conflict of false gods and real God takes place. So what do the people do? I don't want you here. You need to get away. Things are tough. It was hard enough before, but things are really bad now. Moses, you need to leave. I'm talking about God's people, not the Egyptians. Things are tough. Things aren't working like I thought they would. We just thought you were going to get us out of here. We didn't know we had to go through this. 
okay. Here we go. God brings them out. Leads them across a river on dry ground. Provides for them. Oh, you're God. You're amazing. Another hardship comes up. Where's God? Man, you're terrible. Moses, you suck as a leader. We need to go back to Egypt. This place is horrible. Here they are. God, you're great. God, you're terrible. God, I'm all in. God, forget you. And that is mirrored in their history throughout the Old Testament. Israel, God, we need you because we're having a hard time. God, sends a deliverer. Things are good. Where's God? I don't care. I don't need him. We still talk about him. We say he's God, but we're doing our own thing. This is their history. So here's Israel. Like this, right? We know this. This is history. Now let's read a prophecy from Jeremiah. In the middle of this mess of Israel saying yes, saying no, saying yes, saying no. Here we go. This message came to Jeremiah from the Lord early in the reign of Jehokim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. I put the date in there because it's significantly important for us, approximately 608 B.C. So 608 years before Christ, this incredible event is taking place in history. The prophet Jeremiah is given a message from the Lord. So here's Jeremiah in his office. I'm just summarizing and giving you an illustration. He's talking to God, and God's talking to him. He said, Jeremiah, I got a word for you to go share with them. Here's the message. This is it. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord and make an announcement to the people who have come there to worship from all over Judah. Give them my entire message. Include every word. Church, listen to who we're talking to. Did you hear it? Jeremiah, go talk to the ones that are coming to my house to worship me. So this is the congregation. He's not talking to the people that aren't worshiping or not coming to church. The message was for the people coming to worship. Now hear the message. Jeremiah, tell them every word. Perhaps they will listen and turn from their evil ways. Wait a minute. We're talking about God worshipers. People showing up at God's house. Oh, so they weren't living it, but they were practicing it. Come on, man. It's right there in the Word of God. And God is not okay with that. This isn't a game. Perhaps, this is God, perhaps they might turn Then, this is God, I will change my mind about the disaster I am ready to pour out on them because of their sins. God doesn't play games, man. He's like, hey, here I am and I'm up to here. Jeremiah, let them know you got a chance. But if not, I'm coming. This is God talking, church. This isn't a game. So check it out. This is what he's saying. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you will not listen to me, 
and obey my word I have given you. And if you will not listen to my servants, the prophets, for I sent them again and again to warn you, but you would not listen to them, then I will destroy this temple as I destroyed Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was located. And I will make Jerusalem an object of cursing in every nation on earth. Church, God doesn't care about buildings and names. He cares about obedience. And he's like, look, you need to tell them. They're coming to that house. They think there's something magical about that place. There's not. They're not serving me, and I'm going to wipe that place out. Wow, that's crazy stuff. I mean, just think if I'm saying to you, hey, guys, you don't do everything God said for you to do this week. This place won't exist next Sunday. Be like, he's a nut job. what they said it's right here in the word of god too the priests the prophets and all the people listened to jeremiah as he spoke in front of the lord's temple so who are we talking to we got the clergy the prophets those that are speaking god's word and all the people that are there to worship they're listening i hear you but when jeremiah had finished his message a third action step came up saying everything the Lord had told him to say. The priests and prophets and all the people at the temple mobbed him. Kill him, they shouted. What right do you have to prophesy in the Lord's name that this temple will be destroyed like Shiloh? What do you mean saying that Jerusalem will be destroyed and left with no inhabitants? And all the people threatened him as he stood in front of the temple. I put the date in there of 608 B.C. church because it's so critically important for us to know that as we look back in history, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and sieged the city of Jerusalem in 605 B.C. And as King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon put his army around the city, the people still would not repent. Babylonians' armies broke through the city gates, took captive all of the young, healthy, good-looking, smart to take for King Nebuchadnezzar himself to teach and become his servants. Included in that group were some faithful men of God, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. And they went into Babylon in captivity and served the king there. So, the first hall of people takes place. There's a great slaughter in the city. The only people that are left are the poor and the destitute. King Nebuchadnezzar establishes a new king over Jerusalem and says, you will serve me, you will send me this, and then I'll let you live here. He leaves. People get cocky. Temple's there. We got God. God took back the bad people and judged them, but we're good. Here we are. We don't need to serve King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't want to serve his king. Let's kill him. Let's overthrow this place, and we're going to establish ourselves. They did it. 597, 96 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar comes back with a vengeance. And as he comes with his army, he invades Jerusalem, kills the people that are there, tears down the walls, and destroys the temple. 
everything that was in there that had been dedicated to God for God's purpose in worship is carried away to a pagan land in Babylon. Church, think about it. God's good to his word. God is good to his word. He's simply not revealing through stuff to us just so we can know. He's revealing something to us so that we can repent. Surrender. Trust and obey. God's saying, I'm God. I'm telling you these things so that you will serve me. Okay, church. He expects us to respond. Not just say amen. Not just hear it. But do something about what he says to us. Let's turn the page for a second. Completely different direction. Don't be nervous. We're still on course. You know I talked to you about horses, and I'm going to now. So Eric and Ashley, my brother Mark's oldest son and his wife, and their two boys are living with my wife and I. Moved down from Colorado. We're very grateful to have them. They're going to be a blessing to the ministry here. They already are, but I'm just letting you know. They're staying with us while their house sells and getting things set up, and they have a job. Everything's good. So Eric says to me, Uncle Dave, I want to I work with the horses. I want to know what this is about. So yesterday I said, okay, Eric, because the boys wanted to ride the horse. Well, the oldest of the two, who's four, wanted to get a ride in the horse. So of course, buddy, we'll do that. So I went out to get the horse ready, and I decided I would choose Angel, my wife's horse, who's four years old. She's like a, a late teenager, if you're relating to us humans. So she's learned things. She knows stuff, but she's got a ways to go. But sometimes she thinks she knows more than she does. <laughs> like a teenager. Okay. So I selected her because it was good for her and what we were doing, and I trusted her because we've done stuff. So I get her saddled up. I showed Eric how to saddle, do all this stuff. We had to brush her down. You know how it goes. Take her in the round pen. I go, Eric, I put her bridle on, and I had a lead rope, but I tied it on the saddle, and I let her free so she has nothing. I'm not controlling her. I don't have her. I said, Eric, I'm going to walk. Come and walk with me and start to walk in the round pen. And here comes Angel right there next to me. So her head's right here. Her body's behind us. And I'm walking. And she's walking. I turn, she turns. I stop, she stops. I have no rope on her. I didn't say anything to her. Here's something about this horse that I want you, us to hear. See, there's been four years that her and I have developed this relationship. She's learned through life situations with me, I'm the leader. She has surrendered to my leadership. She trusts my leadership. And she obeys my leadership. I don't say, come here, do this. Come here, do this. I just started walking. And she started following. You know what God says to us in his word in John 10? My sheep know my voice and they follow me. So here we are, we're walking. I said, Eric, you see what she's doing? She's learned. She can trust me. Now let's go to the center of the pen. I have a whip there. We never whip the horse. It's a useful tool to just give messages. Never hit them, never have, never will like that at all. Never use it for that purpose. Let's stand in the middle. So Angel follows me. Pick up the whip like this. As soon as I pick that up and look at her, she's all attentive. What are we doing? What are you doing? She knows I'm about to tell her something. So all I do is I just say, go. Lift the whip in this hand point in a direction. 
She immediately turns and starts to go in that direction. So she starts going around the round pen. Why? Because I've told her to. Didn't say it. Gave her the message. She responded because she knows. I'm her authority. She surrendered. She trusts me. Church, let me remind you that her brain's about this big. <clears throat> Literally. Mine's not that small. Her mind is that small. And she just does it. I'm like, Eric, check it out. Now watch her. Watch what she's doing. She's going around me in a circle. Look at her ear, Eric. Look at it. And here she's going like this. There I am in the middle. And as she's going around me, this ear is turned in my direction. And she's listening. Why is she listening? She's just waiting for any command I might give her. If I tell her to speed up, stop, ease off, whatever, she's listening. I said, look at her eye. Now, they're a prey animal. Um, all prey animals have their eyes on the side of their head so they can see what's dangerous coming. We're predators. That's why ours are on the front. And we have canine teeth because we eat meat. And not everybody I know, but I mean, that we're, we're predators. Okay, sorry, that wasn't to try to get us off. I'm just letting you know. We're predators and they know it. Okay, so she's prey. So even though her brain's this big, look it up on Google later today, not now. That brain has this incredible ability that it functions in two roles. So anything you do on one side, you have to do to the other. Otherwise, it's like they never learned it. Okay. So she's listening, her eyes on me. So this other one will go from forward to sideways to back. Like this, the whole while. This one's turning at me. She's listening. She's aware that there could be something coming. But that's not her focus. She's put that in the back of her little mind on this side. Like, I'll know if something's there, but I need to pay attention to him. And her entire body language is paying attention to me. Okay, Eric, this is what we're doing next. We're going to drop our hands. I'm going to step back, and I'm going to invite her to come. As soon as I do that, she's immediately stopping and she starts coming towards me. So as she comes towards me, I don't want her in my space. I need her to learn to respect my space. So she stops right there, and I put my hand up to make sure she does. Just put my hand up. Don't say a word. She stops. When she stops, now I will come to her. And what I do there is I don't give them treats because I don't want them to work for food. I want them to learn to work for affirmation and relationship. And so I begin to pet her and tell her what a good girl she is, how amazing she is, and I'm petting her. And in that moment, like, she'll start to relax. Like, yes. Now, a horse does something every time it's processing, and it licks its lips, and it moves its mouth like this. Scientists have known that when they're processing an event, they do that, and what that's saying is the mind is grabbing information and planting it. So you can see it every time. And if you watch horses, you're going to see that happening at different moments. All right, so she's there. Now, I go, Eric, we're ready? We're going to step away from her. I step back. Immediately, she's like, what do you want? What are we doing? I simply pick it up and say, you need to go that way now. And off she goes. It's amazing. All right, 
So here she is, this cocky little four-year-old, doing everything I want. She's amazing, and she's beautiful, and all that stuff, and she's got it all going on, and she's going around us, and all of a sudden she says, in her little brain, I don't want to go this way. I'm going that way. Slams on the brakes and reverses direction. Right? What did she just say to me? I want you to know what she said to me. She turned her butt towards me in horse language. That's, screw you, I'm in charge. And dug her feet in and planted and launched that direction. So I'm not going to let her do that. I ran over in front of her that way. Now, she's probably 11 to 1,200 pounds, and I'm 195. She could run right over me. But you know what happens when I start to run in that direction? She's like, whoa, that was a bad decision. She do, I've never hit her or nothing. Listen, that little tiny walnut brain says, I need to go back with the way I was told. And immediately she plants her feet, turns and runs the other direction. And we're back in queue. And here I am. Lord, please, here you go. You ready for this church? Here I am, Dave, with this brain of reason, logic, understanding, knowing God in relationship with him. And some stupid, crazy idea hits my brain. I think I'm going to try that. Right? Hear me, church. And I just start heading in that direction. And God, the Holy Spirit, is so faithful. He runs over and saying, Where are you going? I said, That way! Church, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but there have been times in my life where I avoided him. I dodged him, knowing, knowing who he was, what he said, what he wants. And this is how we do it. Listen. Are you reading your Bible? You know, I've done pretty good. Are you praying? Yeah, man, I'm asking him to make a way. <laughs> Are you giving him your time, talents, and resources? Sometimes. Hey, we got this great ability God give us, this called logic, reason, understanding, Spirit of God speaking. And we will justify dodging around His truth all the time and here's this animal with this walnut brain like wow sorry you're right I have to obey you I'll do whatever you say is that crazy that's crazy and here I am and it's the other way around it's God who is this immense being and here there's this little dude like, yeah, I hear you, but <sighs> come on, man. Church, it's all about trust, surrender, and obedience. You know exactly what God said to you. <sighs> so she's moving because I told her to. Tell her to pick it up. Come on, move. 
pick up the pace. She's just listening. Easy. Slow down. Okay, come to me. Come on. Now today, as we're sitting in this church, we look back on history. I read you scriptures about God, what he says to his people. We have evidence. We see it. God's good to his word. He doesn't mess around. He says, I'm going to do this. You need to repent and change your ways. If you don't, here's what's coming. They don't. That's what happened. I just read it to you. It's part of history. Now, I want to look back at that kingdom of Judah, which was part of Israel that split because of their screw-ups. And more than 100 years before Jeremiah delivered that message in front of the temple. And we're going to look at a message from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah prophesied in the years of about 740 to 681. So we know right now we're at more than 100 years prior to Jeremiah's message. So I want you to hear this incredible word of God that God speaks to the prophet Isaiah to his people. In chapter 43, God is speaking. Later on in Jeremiah's book, I don't want to get you confused. We're going to look at something in Jeremiah's book too. God absolutely detailed that it was going to be 70 years that they were going to be in captivity with Babylon. He gave them the exact number. Okay, but let's go back this 100 plus years to Isaiah and listen to what he writes in his message that God gave him to his people. Chapter 43, verse 14. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sakes... I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. Church, I want you to hear me. Babylon was not even a world power at this time. They were not coming against the people yet. They had not besieged a city. This is more than a hundred and some years prior to. And God's speaking a message to his prophet. I'm going to chase those guys like they're nobody. And they're going to run from me. I want you to know that I am God and I'm doing something. So check out what he says here. It's pretty amazing. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. What's God doing? God's saying, you know who I am? I'm that God. You know what I've done in your history? I'm that God. All right, listen to what he's telling them. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. Ooh, God's pretty serious. He's like, you guys all know this. This is your history. You exist because of what I did. I am God. You know this. You've heard the stories about me. You know what I've done. So God's telling them, remember your history, how I proved myself, how you knew me, the power I have to deliver my people, my strong hand, and how I am good to my word. I did this before, you know it. But listen to what God continues to say. Oh, this is so awesome, man. He's like, you remember all that? Forget all that! It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. <laughs> God's like, you think that's something? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm about to do something crazy new. 
Church, listen, you know, we keep talking about what God did. We keep asking him to redo it. Oh, let us have another one of those. Let's, let's like have a tent out there and have tent revival because that caused a great awakening before and stuff. And God's like, what are you doing? That's awesome. I did that. Yep, that was me. I'm God. But I want to do something new. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you see it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is a hundred plus years prior to them even coming to start the siege against Jerusalem. And God's already telling them what he started to do about their deliverance. Oh, God's amazing. He's like, hey, any of my people want to wake up? Can you not see that I am doing something? That I'm on the move? God says it. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers and dry wasteland. God's like, I'm God. All right. So we don't have to get all excited about that or anything. I'm excited about it. You don't have to. Here's the deal. These events are historical facts. Okay, that's God's word. It's the history of God and his people bringing forth our Messiah, Savior, Jesus. These are historical things that took place. That God did exactly what he said he would do, exactly in the time he said it would happen, because God's good to his word. And that's not always a good thing for us. Because sometimes when God's good to his word, it's not good for us. His word is true. The promises of redemption and blessing are true, as well as the prophetic messages of judgment and discipline. It's all true. Okay. So most of us have heard this prophetic message from Jeremiah. I've had it spoken over my life by someone proclaiming it was a word of God through prophetic utterance. Okay, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm not disrespecting that. I want you to hear me. It's really important for us to hear exactly what I'm saying to you as we look at this word. The scripture that I'm about to read to you is in many devotional books. It'll be in many promise books. And it's verses that we want to hear. We like it. It's got a great message. So let's hear it together. Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I mean, those are great words. I mean, those are awesome words. They're amazing words. Do you know who that message was sent to? Do you know where that was? It was to us, but I want you to hear, in the context of the original message, do you know where they were? This was a message sent to the people in Babylon. They had lost everything. No longer did they have their homes. They were uprooted, displanted, taken captives. They were now living in a pagan land. They had no temple to worship God in. There was no sacrificial system in place. Nothing was normal. Church, please hear me. This was a message to the people in Babylon who had been taken captive by their enemy. That's who this message is to. 
See, because oftentimes we want to hear the good message that makes me feel great about my life. But there's more to it than that. Okay? And so when we look at it, (laughs) the false prophets were telling them, hey, this is only a moment. We're going back to Jerusalem. God's going to deliver us. He's good to his word. We're out of here. Okay? That's what they were telling them. So here's the full message from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. This is where the message actually starts, and you're going to hear it in the full context of the message. You ready? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Did you hear that? Here's a message from God. He said, I want you to know something. I put you there. Nebuchadnezzar's army didn't take you. I put you there. God's God, man. God's God. I put you there. Now hear what he has to say to him. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that they may have that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Where I sent you. He says, work for that place now. Pray for its well-being. You ready? Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. Come on, man. Hey, we want to complain about our government, our people. God's like, hey, I'm God. I'm really in charge. And it's our responsibility to pray for Tucson. It's leaders, no matter what party they affiliate themselves with. And we pray for God to move in this place and for their prosperity that it might move because that affects me. That's what he's telling them. Live where you are. I put you there. Stop thinking you're going somewhere else. Relax. I've got you. Begin to live your life. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your false prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I've not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes, and I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Now when we read that whole thing in the context of God's word, see, God says, I do have a plan for you. And it may feel like it sucks right now. But I am God and I am doing something. And I do have a plan and you are learning to trust who I am. Amen. God's word is truth, man. 
You know what, Daniel, when you read his book and he's there in captivity in Babylon, he didn't know any about this stuff because he was in a pagan land. But he was given a scroll of the prophecies of Jeremiah and he read it. And he saw that God said it would be 70 years. So that's why Daniel was up there in his room praying to the east and praying out to God to be faithful to his promise of bringing them out of Babylon, out of captivity. God preserved Daniel and used him mightily in those pagan nations as a man of God because he did exactly what God told him to do in the place where God planted him. And he was a light and a witness to pagan kings of the glory of God. And they learned to know who God was because of a man surrendered and submitted in his current circumstances because he trusted in the Almighty God. That's amazing, man. And guess what? 70 years later, remember how we went through Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall and all that stuff? God made a way exactly like he said he would after 70 years. And that's all history for me and you, church. (laughs) Here we sit. God has spoken his word to us. I don't mean just through me as your pastor. But he's spoken his word to us. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading us. He's called us. Jesus said, you know my voice, you follow me. We should be right there. We should be walking together. I shouldn't be dragging you. I shouldn't be forcing you. I've invited you. You know. You know I'm God. Why aren't you right there? Well, I I do pretty good. I had a good week. I, I did do a few things Wait a minute. God said, I've revealed this truth to you to live in it. What are we avoiding? What what are we making excuses for when God talks to us? Let's visit the parable of the sower for a minute. Matthew 13, Jesus is doing a teaching, and he's saying, like, it's the word of God is like a farmer that goes out and plants seeds, right? You know the story. Let's hear the, the context of the definition as Jesus explains the meaning of his story about the farmer. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. And the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Church, listen, there's going to be people that walk out of this church and churches all across our country like, I don't know what that was all about. That guy's a nut. I don't believe anything he said. I believe my own truth. Whatever. And they go on with life. Jesus said, that's going to happen even when my word is being spoken over them. It's going to be walking away ignorant. It's going to happen. It's happening. Okay, let's go on. Seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy. Woo! Yeah, that's awesome. Amen. Yeah. Preach it. That's this group I'm talking about. Not you guys. That's what we're talking about. It's what Jesus is talking about right here, right? So they receive it. They're like, yeah. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word, persecuted for believing. So they go out there in the world and someone's like, you what? What do you mean? You don't do that? What? Yeah, yeah, that is kind of dumb. Let's... Let's go back into their old ways. 
heard the truth. They knew it was truth. They received it as truth. But they go out, and it's like, whoa, it's kind of different out here. He goes on. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. Oh my goodness, man. We hear God's word. It's so amazing. It's revolutionary. Revolutionary in my life. Transforms me. I go out. And it's real. And life is real. Stuff starts happening. And worry starts to consume me. I got to make a living. I got to do this. And life begins to come and choke us. And there's no fruit of my relationship with the creator of the universe. I mean, Jesus is talking to us straight up, man. He's telling us some stuff that we need to hear. The seed that fell on good soil represents who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as have been planted. He says, man, the ones that actually hear it, they grab it, they get it, there's something that happens in their life. They impact the world around them. And others are affected by them because of the truth of the Word of God. Church, we are called by God to be a light in this world, to be salt in our community, to go out there and share the good news, the gospel, to spend time in His Word, to pray. Wait a minute. Let's go back through those action steps. yeah, but my life's busy and God understands me and I, I, I try. Wait a minute. Who's the priority? Who's God? Who's God? Who are we following? Who's in charge? God, what's your, what is the deal here? What's the purpose of your existence, people? You know we got to work? We do. We have to make a living. We got to do stuff in this world around us. It is demanding, no doubt about it. But those who hear God's word and understand it, there's something that God does through their life that impacts other people. That's the truth of those who actually hear the word of God. Okay? So God says this. I want you to know, Jesus warned us and he told us as an encouraging word, Holy Spirit's coming. Remember, we were talking about this on Pentecost. We've been learning Spirit-led life, so let's just visit that for a moment. Jesus said when He comes, going to convict the world of sin. Peter's preaching. He says, this is happening right now. Just like the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before, prophesied that God would pour His Spirit out on all flesh, right? So Jesus told his disciples when the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. In other words, he's saying the Holy Spirit is calling everyone to Jesus. People are hearing false prophets, false messages, calling into false faiths. He says the Holy Spirit is calling them to Jesus. Church, I want you to know he's calling them through us. Okay? Okay. Now then, not only is the Holy Spirit going to come and, and convict the world of sin, the Holy Spirit's going to convict for God's righteousness. So Jesus told us 
that the Holy Spirit's going to convict us that the righteous life of God is available to us. So it's for the believer. We've heard the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We've come to Jesus Christ for salvation. The Holy Spirit is now living within us and is convicting us of God's righteousness. So God is calling us into this life of obedience, of surrender, trust, and obedience. And he's saying, come on, I want to develop you. In Ephesians 4, he tells us what he's doing is he's maturing us into Christ-likeness. So God is calling us to follow him, surrender, trust, and obey, and lead. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. And then he said, there's a third conviction, the Holy Spirit's coming. That's, he's going to let everybody know there's a coming judgment. God's going to judge us all. Church, we're going to give an account. And he's like, hey, Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to let you know this. You know this. Church, you know this. You know where the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about things that need to change in your life. What kind of footwork are you doing to get around him? Today, he's running in front of us. Hey, hey, I said right there. Yeah. And right now, the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, that's me talking to you. That's not that guy up there. The Holy Spirit's saying, I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. And I'm calling you out. That's the Holy Spirit. You want to know God's voice? Right now you're hearing it. Are you going to dodge him again? Are you going to make an excuse? Are you going to run around him? Or are you going to dig in your feet and say, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm with you? It's up to you, church. So here's the altar. It's open. The Holy Spirit's calling you. Please come. He's pointing you here. This is the moment of surrender. This is the moment He says, Come on. Come on. Don't avoid me. Don't dodge around this any longer. I'm, in, I'm calling you into relationship. Your ears listening. Your eyes on Him. He's talking. He's giving direction. He's faithful. He's so faithful. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for every one of you that are up here. God bless you. Those of you that are in your seats and you're thinking, there's a process going on right now. I'm not saying everybody should be up here. Don't misunderstand me. But some in this room are kind of like, negotiating debating really wanting to get out the back door because they're uncomfortable if you're uncomfortable right now and you want to get out of here you can leave but I want to encourage you not to please come forward the altar's full and it might be but you can sit in the front seats you can stand behind them please respond to God this is God talking to you not me He's the one that's inviting you into this relationship. He knows what's good for you. He does have plans for you, and it is good. No matter what it feels like, it is good. Please hear him. Father, as we are here, I surrender.
you surrender. <laughs> you point, I'll go. Tell me to pick it up, I'll run. Tell me to slow, I'll slow. Stop, I'll stop. Wait, I'll wait. I'm all yours. so faithful God thank you for your patience thank you thank you for what you're doing right here hey thank you to every one of you that responded to the Holy Spirit right here at the altar thank you he loves you he loves you in the name of Jesus his work is complete in you we accept it, Lord, by faith. We embrace it. And now let's go live different. Let's go change. Let's let God complete the work He started in us and let's change. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for being with us today.